uh, Ricky Nixon. It is the Chicken Coop, episode four. How are you, buddy? Toot, toot. How are you, mate? Toot, toot, motherfucker. How you going, buddy? <laughs> yeah, really good. Bit uh, tired with uh, all the travelling at the moment with Swanee, and um, he's going to Perth this weekend, and I've taken a weekend off, so I'll relax and have a good time. That's good, mate. You um, you and Swanee were out at the basin on the weekend. A massive crowd. Yeah. Oh, it was a massive crowd, and look, they... Uh, they had a great crowd when Barry Ball played there about three or four years ago. And one thing that was impressive was their volunteers, the people around the club just did an amazing job. And, you know, everybody from the netball team, the under-19s, et cetera, all got in and helped out. Yeah, mate, there was a, there was a heap of people there. They had barbecues running, you know, yeah. the, the uh, VIP marquee. Mate, what a setup. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And um, I guess, you know, we probably learned from the first game, but they also did that well. They had plenty of sponsors on board, and you know it was really, really good. Yeah, mate. How, how does um how does a local club get hold of you? If they want to do that sort of thing, because mate, that'd have to oh. drive a lot of money into a club. Yeah, look, it's mainly through my Facebook, because uh, that's why I pretty much stick to that rather than other social media. So um, because football presidents are on there, because it's for older people a bit these days. Yep. Um, so most people contact me via Facebook. Uh, I've got a lot of cricket clubs at the moment coming to me, which is interesting because it's a long way from cricket season. It certainly is. Yeah, so who, anyway. Who else Who else you got in your stable at the moment that you're doing that sort of thing for? You were doing uh, some stuff with Cooter, weren't you, as well? Yeah, I do some with Cooter. Um, he's very popular, Cooter. Uh, great player back in the day. Wayne Carey lately, which is interesting because uh, we had a unique partnership, I suppose. Uh, we had our ups and downs and, um, you know, Wayne and I have got on at times and other times disagreed on certain things we've both probably done. Um, and uh, oh, the other people are people like uh, Dustin Fletcher, Jake King. Uh, most of the, the trouble is some of the high-profile players, ex-players, are in the media. So it makes it impossible Friday, Sunday, Sunday for them to do hardly anything. Like Matthew Richardson's one of my best friends. Great guy, but he's not not available very often. Um, and of course, you got uh, the Collingwood players, Heath Shaw, Daisy Thomas, are very popular. Um, yep. And older players, Doug Hawkins is probably one of the most. And Warwick Kappa, the two of them have been going for twenty plus years, and that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. mate. Uh, yeah, Warwick's always sending me little um, little reminders of <laughs> the fact that he's still in the press every time he's on TV or someone mentions him. Yeah, yeah. well, he. He's actually not dissimilar to me in one way, and that's uh, for some reason we cop a bit of media and it keeps you relevant, I suppose, for one of the worst. Mate, I, I, I tell you, this is no word of a lie. Warwick, the lovely Lisa and I, we went to the Shopping Town Hotel a few weeks back just to have a, a palmer and a bit of bite to eat. Yep. We're in the bar playing pool, and no shit, the uh, the uh, interview with um, uh, Mike... Oh yeah, my tune, yeah. Which Come, I think the c- comes post- comes on the TV in in the actual five. room. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Mark Jackson's the the most popular, and I think he's second. Um, and they both of them are a long way ahead of anyone else, which goes to show what great characters they were in the game. And unfortunately, and we can't change things, but that's what's lacking in today's game for sure. Certainly is. It's made some big, uh, some big, big margins on the weekend. The Lions, hundred and fifteen to three oh sixty seven. We had. Uh, who else we got? The Demons smash the Kangaroos, hundred and thirty-nine yeah. to forty-nine, and the Blues, your old mob, hundred and fifty-two <laughs> to the West Coast Eagles, forty-four. Yeah, mate, 
is there a growing disparity in the level of competition in this game? Well, what happens usually around sort of um, round six or seven is the ones that don't start off too well, if they're any good, start to show you that they are about to click into gear, and the ones that burst out of the blocks usually have a you know a really bad one or two games. And I did tip St Kilda to get beaten, but I thought they'd get thrashed because they've been up for so long, and I thought Collingwood would be the same. And uh, St Kilda, to their credit, only lost two games by basically a goal. And Collingwood keeps winning every game by uh, less than a goal. Yeah, well, the Magpies are on top of the ladder, which will make the uh, Collingwood Collingwood Army pretty happy, mate. How, how do you think yeah, they're going to they're going to fare as the season unfolds? Is this sustainable? Oh, I think it is. Uh, well, we'll find out, I guess, because it, their quality is uh, fast running and, and skills, foot skills. Um, they've got some elite kicks, which is great to see because some of the players are a joke. They're kicking in today's football. They're you know meant to be full professionals, and uh, yet they you can see better kicks at off kicks sometimes. But um, you know if you're a Collingwood supporter, and they've gone a bit quiet the last few weeks because they don't want to get too carried away because they know now they're going to play finals and they're going to be a contender. Yeah. And you know it's very hard to keep it up. So they've got to look at resting the likes of Pendles, Dacos, sort of you know somewhere between round seven and probably fifteen for two or three games. Yeah. Um, because Geelong showed last year, Patrick Dangerfield only played three of the first 10 games and the best player in the competition in the last 10 weeks was Patrick Dangerfield. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, like you say, I think some people are, are keeping quiet. It's almost like they don't want to... You say it out loud, yeah. it could make it too real, couldn't it? Oh, it's like uh, being a St Kilda supporter. I mean, it was almost sarcastic humour for the first four weeks. Ah, we're on top of the ladder. And then it was almost, <laughs> oh, actually, we're not a bad team. Um, and now it's sort of like, uh, will they, like last year, they actually started fairly well in the first three or four rounds and they were terrible after that. Yeah. So, um, oh, look, I think they've definitely got kids with quality and that, that's what you want to see in a club that maybe isn't a premiership contender, but, um, you know, you love watching uh, young kids coming through. You go, wow, he's going to be a star. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely the truth. Mate, how do you think it um, stacks up for the bigger body teams? Do you think that it's harder for them to keep their players on the ground? Does a bigger body, um, is there more implications physically in terms of injury with some of these bigger blokes running around? Do you think that they're less uh, durable than the little blokes? Oh, look, it's, it's, I guess the last sort of, you know, 10 premierships have pretty much been won by mature sides. Uh, you'd probably say the Western Bulldogs weren't, but um, uh, look at Geelong, look at Sydney, look at Richmond. Um, you know, Richmond's probably at the moment at that stage where what do they do now? Do they play some kids and go for broke or do they just hope that they'll get some form in the next two or three weeks and, you know, get back get back into contention? But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's, I'm a big on the big-bodied teams and, and if you look at Brisbane, you know, they've matured another year older, got some big bodies now. Uh, I think they're a big chance and especially if they get, you know, the first two home finals. Uh, same with Sydney. That's That's where they have a big advantage. Yeah, I bet. Hey, um, just in some of the headlines that have appeared this week, um, your mate, Andrew Dillon, yeah. the new CEO. Well, look, I, I said 12 months ago that um, probably the two that stood out to me were Andrew um, and Brendan Gale. Um, now, I don't know what Brendan Gale's done wrong to suddenly be out of contention, but um Look, Andrew's a little bit quieter than most. He's not sort of, you know, that out there type of Dan Andrews style of leader. Um, he's very clever. 
known him for 30 years through Q Comets, uh, where he was uh, coaching and got involved, and his daughters play there now. Um, and look, he, he's always been a really genuine, great guy. You know, everything I've ever done or asked, could I see him or, you know, um, what should I do and all that sort of thing, he's always there for you. And I, I think he's probably what the game needs because the next 10 years are going to be very challenging with AFLW um, and other things happening that are, you know, the TV rights and how will that go, et cetera, and the collective bargaining agreement at the moment. So, um, yeah, he's the right man for the job. Uh, do you think um, Brennan Gale's off the table for this discussion because there are whispers around that he may be in the running for um, being the head honcho down at Tasmania? Yeah, look, I think it would probably appeal to him too because he's, I think he's a Tasmanian-born um, and, you know, he's probably at that stage where he needs a new challenge. Now, if that's not the CEO of the new Tassie team, it could be, you know, the leader of uh, Cricket Australia or, you know, Basketball Australia or something like that. Um, uh, he wouldn't be short of offers, that's for sure. And uh, I used to manage him back in the day. Uh, really great, genuine player and, and just a terrific leader. And, um, you know, he's got his work cut out at Richmond at the moment to try and get him back on track, but they're certainly in a strong financial position. Yeah. They, um, according to uh, an article on the Herald Sun, they're saying that Gillen McLaughlin is going to stay on and mentor Andrew over the next twelve months. How do you how do you see that playing out? Do you think that that's a necessary part of the transition, or do you think that that could be a, a bit of toes getting stepped on there? Oh, look, I think it's a bit of both. I think they're teaming up. They would have anyway. Um, you know, people don't realise how much Andrew was doing for Gill. I suppose you know um, behind the scenes and. The collective bargaining agreement is probably the toughest one I've seen um, because there's so much at stake for different parties, AFLW, past players with concussion, current players, etc. Um, so they'll just do everything together. Um, and look, I think Andrew could probably do it on his own, but I think Gil's been great and uh, they've been a great combination. So I think it's probably a really good plan, to be honest. Yeah. Speaking, just as we mentioned before, with Brennan Gale maybe being on the radar for the new Tasmanian team. What are your thoughts? Yep. I think all all the um, the eighteen presidents have now signed off, and it's been ratified that the Tasmanian team will come into play. And I think they were saying yep. something along the lines of what was was it twenty twenty seven? They thought they'd be in, or was it sooner than that? Yeah, I think twenty six or twenty seven. Uh, but the the um, new stadium mightn't be ready by then. Um, look, I think a lot of thought has to go into this because let's face it. The, all the, the latest teams, or the newest teams, I suppose, GWS um, haven't won a grand final. Uh, Gold Coast Suns haven't even made the finals. Frio are struggling at the moment, you know, even West Coast. Um, so really, you've got to make, they've got to make sure that what they're not doing or what they're doing is they're creating another list of 50 players who probably aren't good enough to play AFL. And the big struggle for them is going to be to retain players. So... You know, look, I love Hobart, but someone made a good point to me. If you're from Victoria and you get drafted to an interstate club like uh, Gold Coast Suns, of course, if you get an offer from Collingwood, Carlton, Richmond, Essendon, et cetera, you're going to come back to Melbourne, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you want to play for a traditional club, one of the ones that, you know, can draw 80,000 people to a game. Um, you know, that's the highlight of your career. Yeah, I guess the opportunities it would create post-career as well, just being a part of a marquee organisation, probably. Oh, absolutely. Look, I know so many players that have benefited from, say they wanted a million-dollar contract, and the club said, well, you know, we'll pay you 800000 um, But what we'll do is we'll uh, introduce you to a builder, 
and he's going to build a house for free for you. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was plenty of those sort of deals done over the years, or he'll help you with business, or um, he wants you to be an ambassador for your business. And, and most of those deals come from, or actually something like property development, every club would have that. But um, some of the businesses that are in Melbourne or Sydney, you know, if you get involved in them, it's uh, a great way to start planning your retirement. And how, how does a team like the new Tasmanian team affect the pool of available talent when they're going to have clearly priority draft picks? How does, yeah. that, how does that stunt the ability for even some of the, the currently successful teams to keep moving forward with their recruitment plan? Well, this is the problem, like, say, a club like um, North Melbourne or West Coast Eagles probably is the best example. Um, you know, if they don't have the number one draft pick or a priority pick, etc., how do they rebuild their club when the best kids are going to this new club? Um, so this is where a lot of thought has to go into it. And, uh, you know, the depth in AFL is not great at the moment, and I think that's something Andrew Dillon needs to focus on. Um, you know, they're losing a lot of players to basketball and soccer, of course. Young, really young kids. Um, so that's a challenge as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was um, I was watching uh, a program where Eddie Maguire was talking about the nineteenth team, and uh, and he is saying that basically he thinks that they need to immediately move on to to basically setting up the twentieth. And there are other reports to say that that that's potentially another WA team, so a third team in WA. Yeah, well, I think WA could definitely afford it. I mean, from what I hear, West Coast Eagles are the richest club by a mile, which people would probably find amazing. Um, they've got something like eighty million in the bank, something like that. And uh, yeah, right. you know, uh, I think you know people talk about Darwin, but you know, the population of Darwin is I think something like seventy thousand or something. And you know, I actually think there's room for a team down at Geelong a second team um, because, you know, the population is booming down there and you, you've got a more bigger population in greater Geelong area, you know, the Torquay's Bar and Heads and that, bigger than Tasmania. So, you yeah. know, it might be time to look at something a little bit left field um, and it wouldn't be, you know, I've always thought we should have two Geelong teams. But, you know, like we go to a, a 19th and then a 20th team over the next few years, you know, you've already talked about the fact that you think that there's – you know, potentially 30, 35% of the, what is it, 1,500 players in the AFL system, you, you think that there's, what, three to 500 of them that aren't at the standard. How does that change yeah. the, call it the value of, of the skill level across the pool? Oh, look, it, it's going to um, make it worse. Um, and I think this is where the bad games at the moment, last round, the bad games were really bad. Um, unwatchable, in my view. And, you know, a lot of ex-players that I talk to don't even watch the game anymore. And it's because there's no depth. Um, you know, back in the 80s, I played at Carlton when I was 17, 18. Like, in their reserves, they had Rod Keogh, um, Rod, Rod Rashman, sorry, Trevor Keogh, Jeff Southey, Wayne Harm coming through, you know. And, and in, in the seniors, there wasn't one... And they're all superstars, basically. Um and you just don't see that anymore. Most clubs have, I reckon, about probably six maximum. Um, and, you know, the, these kids are just kids and they're in the team because of athleticism and the fact they can run all day and night. And, um, you know, the skills are lacking. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously North Melbourne was, you know, on, on the table for, you know, to become potentially a Tasmanian team there for a while. 
Well, look, I, I still think um, North Melbourne should go to Tasmania. Um, I think it would be great, and I'll tell you why. You go to the AFL and you say, yeah, we'll go there, but here's the deal. We play 11 games in Hobart, and we play 11 games in Melbourne. We don't travel interstate yep. for five years till we establish ourselves. Um, and, you know, that way their supporters, you know, they can be Northern Tasmania or something like that. I don't know yep. how you'd go with the name of it, but... You know, it, it, it's going to – I think clubs like North Melbourne are really going to struggle from here on in because they just don't have what other clubs have. You know, staff, um, facility – or North's got pretty good facilities, but, um, you know, players are not going to leave West Coast Eagles and go to North Melbourne. They're going to go to Carlton, Collingwood, Richmond, Essendon sort of thing. It's a long. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's going to – I think there's a bit more thought needs to go into the Tassie concept, that's for sure. Do you ever see any of the 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 lesser uh, financial of Victorian teams ever um, having to having to merge or or do something like that to survive? Oh, look, I think at times, you know, the likes of the St Kilda's, um, North Melbourne's, obviously, uh, Western Bulldogs. Um, you know, I think probably uh, as a business model that should have been looked at probably ten years ago. Um, you know. Uh, now, and of course, in Kilda's playing all right this year, you wouldn't think of merging, I suppose. But um, I, I honestly think the competition would be better off with two, two teams of 10 and the winners play off in the Super Bowl of each comp or something and you rotate yep. them around. Um, I just think that, that way you play each team twice, play 20, uh, 18 games for the year and um, you, know, you have both lots of finals and the grand finals at the MCG by the two winning teams in each division. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with some of those uh, teams that do struggle financially is they can have a premiership season and, you know, a couple of years at the top of the ladder and it doesn't change their, the fact that, yeah. their, that their fuse is, is burning low. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's uh, not easy to run a club that, uh, you know, is fighting for survival financially all the time. I know for a fact St Kilda was, 12 or 14 million in debt during COVID and four very prominent supporters and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out who they'd be. Um, the likes of Jerry Ryan, Lindsay Fox, um, Andrew Bassett, the president, etc. Michael Gadinsky, um, I believe that they put in a quarter share each and bailed out St Kilda. So, you know, unfortunately, North Melbourne is probably not that lucky. Um, the Western Bulldogs probably not as well. So um, it's not easy, that's for sure. It certainly isn't. Speaking about the future of Victorian clubs, mate, how do you see Richmond faring? Oh, look, um, obviously financially they're very secure, but um, there's something going on. I've heard a whisper today. Uh, I haven't um, uh, finalised it, so I don't want to say anything tonight, but there's something big going down at Richmond uh, internally, I'm hearing. And, um, you know, I don't want to rumour monger, and if it's something that I think shouldn't be a story, well, then I won't put it out there, but um, yeah, it's disappointing to hear that, and uh, a lot of people are offside. So whether that's you know a staff member or a coach or a player, I'm yep. yet to find out. But stay tuned next week. Yeah, um, and even um, even I've heard a couple of little bits and pieces, which you know, it's a uh, it's a fickle yeah, industry. There you go. Yeah, it sure is, and you know when you're so, so successful, and Hawthorne went through this, is um, you got to make decisions which aren't usually um, favourable. Because players, you know, someone like Koch or um, Rewalt, they've been great players for the club. Um, and if they forced them to retire or traded them, 
uh, I found it really disappointing what Hawthorne did with um, Sam Mitchell and uh, Mitch um, uh, Hodge and oh, yeah. all those players. And, um, you know, I just think they could have handled it a little bit better. Um, but at the end of the day, every club's entitled to their decision. Well, I think and, Hawthorne um, specifically it had a bit of a history of doing that because I, I remember even Dermot Brewer and the way he yeah, was handled. On yeah. that, I mean, he was – you couldn't really get a bigger star for the Hawthorne Footy Club. Yeah, well, that's what – like Carlton made a big mistake when they chose me over Diesel Williams, but Hawthorne made a bigger mistake when they drafted me and kicked Dermot out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's, um, look, the decisions on retired players, people always ask me, how did you advise players? And this is your, my inside, one of my inside stories for the day yep. or night, um, is I would say to them, look, it's not your decision. It's got to be a decision based on uh, one of your best mates telling you honestly how he thinks you're going, uh, one of your teammates. Uh, obviously, the coach will speak to you, a family member and myself. And I will tell you bluntly if I think you're finished. And if you're finished, uh, I used to always talk to players about this when I thought they had about three years left. And Jason Dunstall was a great example. Um, I said, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to get in the media if I can. I said, all right, let's get you a part-time gig on Triple M or something like that. And so he did that for three years. And then as soon as he finished, he's had a 20-plus career um, uh, uh, career. Yeah, so he's a... Um, you've got to plan it, that's for sure. And with Koch, look, he's, I know he's um, in good businesses. He's a ripper bloke. Um, and, you know, I don't want to see him drop to the VFL, neither do Richmond supporters. So they've got to make a decision on how best to approach the rest of the year. Uh, Jack Rewalt, look, yeah, look, he sometimes pulls something out like two weeks ago. But to me, he just looks like his body might be gone. I love him. He's a great guy, a former client of mine. Um, who struggled in the early years and then, you know, probably has had a better career than Nick Rewalt. Yeah, well, he certainly, I mean, he's got the premierships, doesn't he? Well, he's got the premierships, he's goal kicking, and he was very consistent through their successful years. And, you know, you've got to have, you know, two key position players, you know, look at Geelong um, and, you know, Richmond had Lynch and and Rewalt and, uh, yeah, he'll have a, a big media career when he finishes. And, um, you know, he's a bit of a character as well, so I think that's good for the game. What what should Richmond do? Uh, I would slap in five young kids this week. You don't have to leave Rewalt and Koch out, et cetera, but base the decision on the form of some other players and just let them go for broke. They've got to get some runoff halfback and they've got to do it quickly. And the supporters have probably got to give them a little bit of space to do that too because, you know, I've talked to you about this before. A couple of mates of mine who are Richmond supporters, mate, they are fucking nasty. When the Tigers well, are not on, they yeah. are just ruthless against their own club. What what disappoints me with Richmond at the moment is when Ross Lyon got appointed coach of St Kilda, I'll never forget, I was in a cafe having a coffee with him, and um, he goes, Chicken, uh, what, what do you think of this? And I said, what, what? He goes, I'm going to change my whole coaching style from pressure um, and don't let them score to be fast-flowing, um, score over 100 points each week. And I said, mate, go for it. That's that's why, you know, clubs like uh, Melbourne won a premiership. That's how Geelong won one last year. And the winner this year will kick 120 points probably in the grand final. Yep. So what disappoints me with Richmond is there's no run, no quick run, no, um, you know, Collingwood style or St Kilda style. It's that, still that same old pressure, pressure bullshit going around in circles, going backwards. Like they've got two key forwards. Get the ball to them quickly. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, at the same time too, you know, it – something that sort of ties into the discussion about the part of the year where you can really tell who's a contender. 
I remember back when Paul Ruse was coaching the Swans, early yeah. in the year that they won the flag, there was yep. people talking about their ugly brand of football and yeah. how it was yeah. just all yeah. wrong and they'd never win. And yeah. well, by Rob the end of that year, yeah. Paul Ruse probably created that sort of pressure style play, but um, the smart coaches have realised that pace and foot skills beats that pressure. Yeah. And, you know, luckily for St Kilda, they've got Jack Sinclair. Luckily for Collingwood, they've got Dacos, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, Geelong have perfected it as well. Uh, they've realised they can't play pressure footy and keep a score, you know, it seemed down to 40 points and they kick 50. So, you know, the teams that are playing great footy like that at the moment are the Brisbane's. Um, you know, they're starting to kick really... I, I noticed on the weekend, I think it was six scores or more over, over 100 points. Yeah. Now, five years ago, they would be lucky to be one score over 60 points. And that's, you know, the way the game's changing. Yeah. Hey, mate, um, I heard a bit of a rumour that uh, a number of years back that you were approached to potentially be in discussion with a Kerry Packer-style breakaway competition. Is there any truth to that? Uh, let's just say uh, people, when I look back, people go, were you shocked when this happened and that happened? And this one was, uh, what happened was Lloyd, we who started Crown Casino, um, rang me up one day and said, I want to see you, Rick. I said, what about? He said, mate, this club 10 idea you've got, mate, I love people like you. I'm going to back you in. You can do the launch here. I'll pay for it all. And I'll give all the players uh, full credit which might, probably wasn't a great idea to gamble at the casino, <laughs> but they became ambassadors. But anyway, where am I going with this? One day he said, hey, Rick, um, Kerry Packer wants to see you in Sydney tomorrow. I said, about what? He goes, oh, he wants to start his own super competition against the AFL. He wants you to be the CEO. I said, ah, oh, okay. He goes, go out to the airport. There's a private jet. It'll be leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning. They're having a big meeting. I said, okay. Um, so all night, I just couldn't sleep. I'm thinking... God, how do they, he's going to have to put up a lot of money to get Collingwood, Carlton, Richmond, Essendon, and where are you going to play these games? And But I was really excited about taking it on and doing it. And um, I got out to the airport and I got a call from um, um, no, Kerry Packer's office saying, Rick, look, it's, uh, it's they're running a bit behind time on the meeting. Uh, you okay to just stay there at the moment? I said, yeah, no worries. Three hours later, they rang me and said, look, we're not going to go ahead with it, Rick. I went, right. oh, damn. And to this day, I still, I'm hearing there was, well, I know because someone rang me from overseas. I won't say where from, but so let's just call it one of the biggest companies in the world and said, is it viable to start a competition there in, against the AFL? And I said, look, um, possibly, but it, it's the stadium side of it that's not easy. And also, you, you'd have to draw in, you know, clubs that have been around for 100 years. You couldn't just do all the new clubs that wouldn't work. No, that'd be so, um, so, yeah, Kerry Packer uh, almost, was a character in his day. and very. I loved his whole business style, his entrepreneurship. In fact, he goes for it. You know, great guy. Oh, what, he's, he's an Australian icon. Oh, yeah. Um, ima- imagine yeah. that, uh, like a World Series of Cricket breakaway competition for football. That would have been interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, you just wonder if uh, it could have been the answer, you know, where there's two competitions. Maybe they play off in a Super Bowl. Um, wow. That'd but, be something. You know, what what would happen to the clubs like the North Melbourne, the Western Bulldogs, the, the Kilders, et cetera, if a super comp was started? You know, it would be the end of the public so. Yeah, well, I mean, look, 2020 have done a breakaway competition for pretty much for uh, cricket, which has turned that into a real visual spectacle. And the crowds they get for them are phenomenal. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, look, 
uh, one of the challenges for Andrew Dillon going forward is to, to you know, um, think about what the future is going to be in eight years, in ten years' time. Um, you know, and he's got a lot of challenges ahead of him. Um, do I think a, a, a super comp could work? Uh, probably not. I think people like the connection to the current clubs and, you know, the history. If you change to a new super league, well, it's not AFL anymore, it's not VFL. So, you know, it's... Uh, I think it would be a big challenge and it'd take a lot of money, billions of dollars. But this company who, who asked me to have a chat with them is one of the richest companies in the world. Mate, is, it, is there any possibility that there could be some kind of like, um, you know, like minor league aspect of these clubs that plays almost like a summer competition in some sort of limited degree? Yeah, look, you know, I guess something like that's possible. Although I don't think our game really is suited to summer conditions just because of the athleticism required. Um, but, you know, it's uh, you know left field thoughts like that. Um, look, is it possible? What, what I said to this company, and look, I'll tell you now who it was. It was Facebook. Um, was what about if you considered starting a AFL competition um, in Asia? And they said, right. "Well, haven't thought of that." I said, "Well, I came up with the idea when the A League started to um, to play in Asia, basically." Or sorry, I. I spoke to Crown Casino and I was going to start my own soccer club and we were going to play at a super comp in Asia but play out of Melbourne you know every second week and um, they were super keen to do it um, and can't remember what happened but uh, yeah, it just sort of dropped away yeah right hey um, mate coming up next week uh, sounds like we might have a, um, a potential Brownlow medalist in the ranks <laughs> Yes, my old mate, Diesel Williams, I love him. We were best mates growing up and, you know, I'd have to say we probably both made each other. I don't want to take too much credit for his footy side of it, but we basically spent every week wagging school and going down to the footy oval. And, um, you know, he he made great decisions like this. When we were at under 14s, he said, Rick, let's kick left foot and handball left hand the whole season at training. And if you make a mistake, you've got to do five push-ups or ten push-ups or something like that. Yeah, right. Um, you know, just smart decisions, which in hindsight was unbelievable. And Gigi uh, was a tough man. Back in those days, there was what was called skinheads in Bendigo. And they were these nice bikies, basically. And um, I'll never forget one night, they they um, knocked over a beer Diesel and I were having at a pizza place. And Diesel just went whack and punched with him in, in the head. And then about four of them came at him. And he just went whack, 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 whack. And that's when I found out I was a faster runner than him for a jump fit right away. Ah, very good. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have a diesel on next week, which will be great. We will. Well, Ricky, that is episode four of The Chicken Coop. As always, you're a legend. We'll see you next week, mate. Thanks, mate. Champion. See ya. See you, buddy.